All right, Acts chapter 13, I'm going to read, starting at actually verse 42. Verse 41 is the conclusion of Paul's message to the uh, people at Pisidian, Pisidian, Antioch. And uh, verse 42 starts to show us the results of his sermon there. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we do come before you with thanksgiving for this season, with thanksgiving for the opportunities that you give us to reach out to those around us and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and share the real meaning of what happened at Christmas, the incarnation, God becomes man so that he might go to Calvary's cross, your son, our savior, and bear our sins in his body. Help us not to forget the wonder of this season. And Lord, we do pray for all of the recipients of the, of the shoebox gifts. We, we thank you for Bethel Center. We thank you for their wonderful ministry among those who need help in Del Rio and that we can be a part and support what they're doing. And we just pray for those uh, children who will get these gifts. We pray that first of all that uh, they will find joy in them. And then we pray, Lord, that they and their parents might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior if they do not know him. Lord, thank you. Guide us as we study your word this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The thing I'd like for us to understand this morning as we go through not only the closing verses of chapter 13, but the opening verses of chapter 14, as we continue to study Paul's first missionary journey, the thing I want you to see, and we're going to see it over and over and over again uh, throughout Paul's missionary journeys, is that the gospel message divides. The gospel message divides. That was true in the first century, and it continues to be true today. Remember, Jesus himself said, and I'll, uh, if you want to turn, you can turn to 
uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Jesus said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus himself said, I'm come to bring a sword. The gospel of Jesus Christ divides people. For some will accept the gospel, embrace the truth about Jesus Christ, embrace the Savior, but others will reject. And that is a continuing theme as we go throughout the book of Acts. Dr. Ryrie's note in his study Bible says this, Christ's mission involves tension, persecution, death, The gospel divides families. The world will experience true peace only when the king returns again to rule. The gospel divides. The setting for what we're studying this morning in both the closing verses of chapter 13 and chapter 14, the setting is this. The religious leaders were upset at how many people accepted Paul's message. They were upset at how many Jews accepted Paul's message, and they were uh, upset about how many Gentiles especially accepted Paul's message. They were jealous over that and responded out of their jealousy over the acceptance that Paul's message was getting. The main idea for us to remember in these verses is this. The gospel divides but opportunity and growth go hand in hand with opposition. That's the main idea of this section. The gospel divides, but that's not the end of the story. The gospel divides, but opportunity and growth go hand in hand with opposition. As we look at these verses, uh, we're going to see, well, how, do we, how should we respond to that truth? How should we respond to the fact that when you and I share our faith in Jesus Christ with those unbelievers around us, some of them will accept, many of them will reject, and perhaps not just reject our message, but reject us because of our message. So it's important for us to understand as we see this, as we go forward in the book of Acts, that the gospel divides. The gospel divides. And how should we respond? Well, let's answer that question now, and then we'll come back to it at the end this morning. How should we respond to that? We should persevere. We should persevere and not give up. So easy to give up. As you're going to see in the closing verses of chapter 13, you're going to see in the opening verses of chapter 14 that Paul and Barnabas and their missionary team never give up. They found that in spite of the opposition, they had opportunities and they were going to take those opportunities. They didn't let the persecution, they didn't let the opposition stop them. They didn't give up. We need to follow their example and keep sharing, keep teaching, keep using the Word of God in the lives of those around us. I am so thankful in my own life the folks who led me to the Lord didn't give up on me. I can't tell you how many years it took before I responded to the gospel. 
we first met these, those folks as a family when they sold a kitchen to my mom and dad. Can you imagine that? I was 12 years old, and they sold a kitchen to my mom and dad. And they were believers who loved the Lord and believers who, who uh, uh, were always ready to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing they did was they asked my parents, can, can we take Joe and his brother and sister to church? So they took us to their local Baptist church where they attended. Uh, and the, the premise was if you went three times, you got a Bible. So we went three times and got a Bible. King James couldn't understand a word. <laughs> but we, we got a Bible. Well, we stopped going. We didn't go. But as things would happen, they never gave up on my family. They befriended my mom and dad. And uh, they, they were in my family's life. And eventually, believe it or not, when I became a young man, they hired me and I went to work for them. They owned a, a kitchen manufacturing company and a kitchen sales company, and I went to work for them. So guess what every day was? Every day in the office was, Joe, you need Jesus. Joe, you need Jesus. Joe, you need Jesus. I, I don't need Jesus. I, the, I belong to the one true church. I was Catholic at that time. I belong to the one true church, and I don't need uh, what you're selling, uh, but every day over and over and over for a couple of years. They never gave up on me. Don't you give up on the folks that God gives you opportunity to share your faith with. Don't. I finally understood I needed to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I did. And my life changed so dramatically it could only have been from God. Don't give up. Well, they, what can we learn from this? And we may eventually get to these verses so you can see. But... Uh, what we can learn from this is that we need to persevere. We need to keep sharing, keep teaching, keep using the word of God. We need to leave the results in God's hands. We need to leave the results in God's hands. Where there are open doors, we need to go through them. And we need not get discouraged or be intimidated because we need to understand that it's not our words that matter. It is as we share the word of God and the Holy Spirit uses the word of God in their lives, that will find its mark in their life, even if they reject our testimony. So bottom line, persevere. Don't give up. Well, let's see the result. We've already we've spent a, actually the last two weeks studying this sermon of Paul's he goes back into the history of Jesus Christ, his, uh, uh, how he was the one that fulfilled what they should expect about the coming of the Savior, the coming of Messiah. And then Paul moved on to showing how he fulfilled Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. And then he called for them to make a decision. 
He called for them to make a decision. Well, verse 42 follows that call for a decision, as, and it shows us the results of what Paul did. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. The result of Paul's message was that many of the Jews were converted, many of the Gentiles were converted as well, and Paul and Barnabas stayed with them to give them further encouragement to encourage them in their faith, urge them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, verse 45, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Can you imagine that? Almost the whole city of Pisidian Antioch gathered to hear the word of the Lord on the next Sabbath. Verse 45 when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Boy, it's amazing what jealousy can do, isn't it? They thought to themselves, wow, we've never filled the auditorium with that many people. And they were jealous of what Paul and Barnabas did. One writer put it this way, the Jews of Pisidian Antioch did not reject and then actively oppose the Christian message on its merits. Please take note of that. They didn't oppose it. They didn't reject it on its merits, but out of jealousy. Ultimately, however, the writer says, neither the motives of those who reject our message or even their active hostility should matter to us now listen, there are those who will respond. You see, many may reject your message. Many may reject your testimony. Many may reject what you share with them from the Word of God. But remember, there are those who will respond. And the writer closes by saying, those who reject harm only themselves. Those who reject harm only themselves. Well, they, they didn't reject the message on its merits. They rejected it because of jealousy. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said no such crowds came to the synagogue when they were speakers. Envy and jealousy arise. Well, that's what's happening here. And they spoke, it tells us, abusively against what Paul was saying in other words, they spoke harmful things. Uh, the word there is also translated in English by blaspheming. They were blaspheming what Paul and Barnabas were saying and the truths that they were saying. Verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. You, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. 
Remember, this was Paul's regular pattern. Paul's regular pattern whenever he would go into a city, and we're just at the start of this because we're only uh, in the second major city of Paul's first missionary journey, but you'll see this as we continue in the book of Acts that over and over again, the first place they go in most cities, not every city, Athens, for instance, they didn't, but in most cities, the first place they went was to the synagogue because they knew as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, they knew that they would find people there who were familiar with the Old Testament. They were familiar with the Word of God. They were familiar with the prophecies concerning Messiah. And so that's where they would begin. But when they were rejected by the Jews, as they are here in chapter 13, they would turn specifically and majorly to the Gentiles sharing the faith with them. One writer explained it this way, the, op the apostolic strategy was the same in every city. Take the good news of Messiah Jesus to the Jews first. God loves the Jewish people. He sent the Messiah to reveal His plan of salvation to them first. They were the ones to whom the ancient messianic promises and prophecies were given. They anticipated Christ's arrival. The invitation to receive Christ was offered to them before anyone else. Many, now listen, this is, I found this interesting. Many, an estimated one-third of first century Jews, believed and welcomed Jesus as Messiah. They have estimated that as many as one-third of first century Jews responded to the message and believed in Jesus as their Messiah. But the writer points out, tragically, twice as many chose to turn away, and often for such a tawdry substitute, jealousy. So they estimate that one-third of the Jews that the gospel went to in that day responded to the, their Savior, responded to Jesus Christ as Messiah, put their faith in Him, but two-thirds rejected. Well, Paul's pattern was to go to the Jews first, and when they rejected his truth, they sent, he, he went then and specifically taught the Gentiles he said, this is what the Lord has commanded us. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. There are three applications of Isaiah 49.6 in the scripture. When you look at Isaiah 49.6 and where it's quoted, there are three times, three times it's three groups or people that's applied to. The first is to Israel. God made Israel, set them apart for Himself, chose them as His own people, that they might do what? That they might be light to the Gentiles. That they might bring salvation to the end of the earth. The thing is, they rejected it and didn't do it. They rejected God's design for them, and they didn't do it. However, they're the first of the groups that this is applied to. The second place we see this in the Scripture is this is applied to Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. 
we don't have time to turn there, but that's the passage where Simeon, the elderly saint, who was waiting for Messiah because God had said to him that he would not die before he saw God's Savior, God's Messiah. And then Joseph and Mary, one day, and day after day after day, I love this story. It's one of my favorite Christmas stories. Uh, you know, we think about the manger, and we think about the angels, and we think about the wise men who came later. We think about all those parts. Two of my favorite characters surrounding the birth of Christ are Anna and Simeon, both found in Luke chapter 2. God had told Simeon that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. And so day after day after day after day, he would be watching in the temple, waiting, waiting for that day when God would reveal to him, this is the Messiah. I get, you know, I get this picture of, of uh, him uh, running up to every family. Every time a family came in, there's a child, is this the one, is this the one, is this the one? And finally, one day, Joseph and Mary come to go through the ritual of purification for Mary. And he sees Jesus. And God reveals to him that this is Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. And then he gives a prophecy about Jesus in Luke chapter 2. And he tells Joseph and specifically Mary that this child would divide people. And this child would be a light not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. The third time that Isaiah 49, 6, the third application in the scripture is, is application to Paul. To Paul, when he was called to salvation, God explained that he would be a light to the Gentiles. He would be a light to the Gentiles. He would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. At the moment he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he already had his assignment. He would be a light. Now, you know, folks, that's what you and I are to be. We live in a dark place. I, I don't know if you realize that, right? I think you understand, right? This, this world is a dark place. It's a dark place because of sin. There is sin in America I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And it's not just America, it's across the world. But America, our culture is what we know, what we live in, what we understand. There is darkness all around us. You're, you and I are the light. We're the light. We're to bring light in dark places. We're to bring light to those who are in darkness, those who are blinded by Satan. You and I are to bring the light of the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ to the people around us. 
There's a, there's a story I love from a book that I really love called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness by Jerry Cook and Stanley Baldwin. And uh, he tells the story in the book of, of one of his uh, congregation members who called him up and said, Pastor, you've got to pray for me that I get another job. Why should I pray for you to get another job? It's, I, I work in a horrible place. The, the language of the people around me is terrible. Uh, their, their morals are awful. I just can't stand going to work there every day. Please pray that I get another job. And the astute, wise pastor that he was, he said, can't do that. Why would I pray that God would take out the only light in that dark place? I don't know what your shop is like or what your workplace is like. I don't know what the darkness is like in your workplace, but you're the light. So he said to him, I'm sorry, I can't pray for that. Why would I pray for the only light to be taken out? He said, but I'll tell you what I can do. I'll pray with you that, that God would use you in that dark place. Do you know within weeks, Several of his co-workers came to faith in Jesus Christ. We're in a dark place. You and I are placed in a dark place and we're there for a reason because we bring the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. We are those who bring the message of salvation wherever God permits us to. Verse 48, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Right at this point, all the Calvinists are dancing. <laughs> All the Armenians are trying to figure out, I don't mean the Armenians, the country, Armenians, the followers of Jacob Arminius, uh, uh, are saying, I don't, why did he say that? What this tells us is that those who come to faith in Jesus Christ are the elect. What it doesn't tell us is how they get to be elect. Paul doesn't get into that. So he doesn't, tread into those waters, and we're not going to either. <laughs> I can tell you this, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are elect. Whether God looked down through the corridors of time and saw that if given a chance you would believe and somehow the, the effects of the fall were reversed, which I think is ridiculous personally, but, so now you know where I stand. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I didn't deal with it, did I? <laughs> whether it was that way or whether God in eternity past randomly chose you. You want to you study it? I'll give you all kinds of study material. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are elect. And you have been predestined and you have been chosen by God whatever process he used. Let's not fight over the process. 
By the way, there's a truth that goes along with that that's really great. That means that whenever you're talking to somebody, you don't know if they're elect or not, but because there are those who are elect, your testimony is worthwhile. And you will reach some. You will reach some. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any hope of giving our testimony or sharing our faith. Well, I'm, I'm getting away. Um, all who were appointed for eternal life believe the word in Greek is tasso, and it means to arrange or to assign. It's a, it's a military term. It's a military term. It means to belong to or be classed among. F.F. Bruce says it this way, many of them, these Gentiles, believed the gospel, all in fact who had been enrolled for eternal life in the records of heaven, for this appears to be the sense of the words here. The gospel is accepted by the Gentiles. Gentiles are among the elect. That's one of the things that would have been striking to the people of Paul's day, that not only were Jews included in the elect, but Gentiles were included in the elect. Gentiles were included in the elect. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now, by the way, that's the divine side of evangelism. That's the divine side of salvation. When we get to verses 49 to 52, we see the human side of evangelism. The human side. The word of the Lord spread throughout through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The human side of evangelism is we have to preach the word. God has chosen However, he did. That's the divine side. But you and I have a job in all of this. You and I have responsibility in all of this, and that is to preach the word, to share the word, to share our testimony, to take the word to those around us, whether it's those in our neighborhood, those on our job, those in our school. That's our responsibility. That's the human side of evangelism. Well, the, they were disputed. They were expelled from the territory. The Jews had friends in high places who made it difficult for them. But what is really great is verse 51 they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them, and they went to Iconium. They didn't quit. They didn't stop. And beyond that, not just they didn't quit and didn't stop, and they didn't say, oh, woe is me, I probably am going to... Some people believe that the way they were driven out of Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, is that they were beaten with rods. There's a reference to that. Paul mentions that a couple of times in his writings, having been beaten with rods. It's possible, it's possible that that's what happened to them there. But, but please notice, they didn't, they didn't say, oh, woe is me, and oh, I, I guess I'm going to go on, and I guess I'll be persecuted for the Lord, and I'll accept it. And 
Mm -mm. None of that. Do you see the disciples were what? Filled with pity for themselves because of what they had to endure? No. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing to me. Well, remember what we are seeing in this passage. The main idea of this passage we've seen in the closing verses of chapter 13. We're going to see now in chapter 14 is that the gospel divides. But where there is opposition, there's also opportunity and there's growth. They go together. They go hand in hand. Look at chapter 14. Let's get into that as far as we can. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. Remember, that was the practice. That's what they did uh, all of the time. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Once again, opposition. Once again, opportunity in the midst of opposition. Now, Iconium was 90 to 100 miles east of Pisidian Antioch. It became a major center for the propagation of the gospel. It was a city that had good water, good climate, rich vegetation, and great prosperity. It is modern day, I'm not sure how to pronounce this word, it's K-O-N-Y-A, Konya, Konya, uh, that's the modern day city of the biblical Iconium. The Holy Spirit greatly prospered their ministry. And they endured, once again, opposition to their message, but they also had opportunity and to see growth, to see many come, many come to faith in Jesus Christ. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the civil authorities as well as the general population against them. So we read, so Paul and Barnabas, verse 3, spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. There is our key word. Divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. Several people have observed the courage of Paul and Barnabas, talked about the courage that it took to continue. One writer challenges you and challenges me by saying this, the will to persevere is often the difference between failure and success. The will to persevere is often the difference between failure and success. Just hang in there. <laughs> Can you do that? Can I do that? 
Can we just hang in there? Can we just not give up? It's the difference between failure and success. Another said this about Paul and Barnabas, these two were brave men and it always takes courage to be a Christian. I like that. It always takes courage to be a Christian. We see here that they were slandered, they were spoken against. Another writer said verbal abuse and slander are favorite weapons of the enemy of Christ, enemies of Christ. One last, I, I need to share this one with you. Charles Ryrie in his commentary on this section of Acts says this, unbelief is morally vicious. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you're attacked for your faith. Why do, why do people oppose such a good message? Such an encouraging thing as the gospel of Jesus Christ, which tells us that by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we can have the forgiveness of sins. We can have eternal life. Not, not a hope so, I'm going to get eternal life when I die. Eternal life begins here and now. The moment you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, we receive eternal life. Because eternal life isn't longevity of life, because every person born in this earth will live forever in heaven or hell. It's not that eternal life is that you get more days or months or weeks or years. Eternal life is a quality of life, not a quantity of life. It means what Jesus called abundant life, abundant living here and now. And then when God calls us home from this place, it means abundant life with him forever. That's eternal life. And you get it, eternal life, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So why do people oppose such a Fantastic message, such a wonderful message. There are a couple of ideas about that that various people have come up with. Number one, it wounds their pride. It wounds their pride. Number two, it calls them to helplessness instead of independence. How many of us want to be helpless? Raise your hand. No, no, no takers? Tell you, that's what happens to you as you get older. You start asking yourself, how long will I be independent? Those of you who are older might know what I'm talking about. Well, we don't have many of that old. <laughs> so, sorry. You're all too young for that. But that's the question that you're faced with. How long will I have independence? People don't want to be dependent. They don't want to be helpless. They want to be independent. And the gospel message calls us to helplessness because we can't help ourselves. We have to depend upon another. Don't like that, right? Why do people oppose the gospel? Because it calls them to be weak and they want to be strong. It calls them to be weak and they want to be strong. 
when we call men and women to put their faith in Jesus Christ, we are telling them that they are helpless. We are telling them that they are weak. And they need a Savior. Opposition will come. Rejection will come. We've already read Jesus' words where he said he came to bring a sword that divides. The gospel separates people. But one thing you and I need to be careful about, when opposition comes to our gospel, to our sharing our faith in Jesus Christ, it should come over the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? If people oppose us, they ought to oppose us because they oppose the gospel that we're sharing with them. They oppose the word of God. They oppose the truth. They oppose being weak and helpless. When, when opposition comes, it should come over the gospel. It shouldn't come over our political stand. What's more important, convincing a person to your political point of view or showing them their need of Jesus Christ? What do you think is more important? And when we let politics get in the middle of the whole thing, and I don't want to get off onto that, and thank goodness for your sake, we're at the end of my time. I guess what I'm trying to say is for you and me as believers in Jesus Christ, there is plenty to separate us from the unbelievers around us. Let's not let politics garble the message of Jesus Christ. The only party I'm a representative of is the party of Jesus. I have political views, and if you know me, talk to me personally, you hear them. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having political views. But if people are going to reject this, it ought to be over the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be clear in sharing that gospel. Clear about the priority of the gospel. By the way, do you wonder why more people don't share their faith Sometime look up 2 Timothy 1.7, but not in the next two minutes. Or three minutes or four minutes. The gospel divides, but opportunity and growth go hand in hand with opposition. How should we respond? Don't give up. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God. Thank you, Lord, for the moment in our lives when we realized that we were weak not strong, and that we, we were helpless, not independent. And we needed a Savior. Lord, there may be some here this morning who need a Savior. I pray your Spirit would make the truth of your word real to them. In Jesus' name, amen.